morning, Journey Church. It was so good to see you. I was just, a thought went through my mind a few moments ago that a year ago, I was preaching to an empty room. You want to talk about how uninspiring <laughs> that is. You know, I don't want your sympathy or anything, but um, wow, uh, it was pretty incredible a year ago as we were trying to figure this whole thing out. But it's so great to see all of you who are here today, some of you for the first time and getting out. And, uh, you know, I got my second shot on Wednesday. I was really worried because I did. I was diagnosed with COVID back in May last year, and I was scared to death. I was just going to get really, really sick. I didn't get sick at all, a little, little headache, uh, but no problem at all. But I am uh, fully vaccinated, whatever that means, for better or for worse. We'll figure out down the road if that's a good thing or not, all right? But I want you to imagine for a moment, can you imagine for just a second that you had in your possession a vaccine that would totally eradicate and end the pandemic. I mean, imagine that you had it in your hand. I mean, not a 90% proof or prevention rate or success or whatever they call it, but 100%, no side effects, zero side effects, no long-term repercussions, no danger of causing harm, no chip implanted in you with the vaccine that's gonna control your mind. None of that. Uh, no man had invented it, so you know it's good, right? And there was no limit to the number of doses that you could distribute to other people. And the more it was shared, the more there was of it. Can you just imagine that for a second? And it was a true miracle cure. Let me ask you this. What would you do with it? Would you share it with other people? Would you share it with anybody? Or would you keep the, idea, the secret to yourself? Would you give it to your family? Would you give it to your friends, your neighbors? How about the whole world? And if you didn't, would you feel any level of guilt for not sharing that with other people? You know, I really believe that most of us, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, I think most of us would do anything we could to see that everyone we loved, everyone we knew, everyone, in fact, in the whole world would get this vaccine to get rid of this pandemic. Now, I told you to imagine that, but here's the thing, you don't have to imagine that at all. Because it's not just a proposal, it's a reality. If you are a Christian, you have received a vaccine that will prevent and treat the worst pandemic in the world, not the coronavirus, not COVID-19, but instead the pandemic of sin. And you have it. You have the vaccine, and the vaccine is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet here's the amazing thing. None of us would keep the vaccine for a pandemic to ourselves, but 90% 90 of us will never share the vaccine of the gospel with anybody in our lifetimes. Most of us will never share it. That's a tragedy, isn't it? You know, we've been talking about um, spiritual disciplines, and the first week uh, that we talked about this, we kind of introduced the idea that the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we said that these were activities that are taught in the Bible that help us know Jesus better, help us become more like Jesus Christ, help us to experience God. And they're not ends in themselves. We're not doing these things just to be good or just to say we can do these things well, but they are a means to the end, which is godliness. The Bible says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness to help us become more like Jesus Christ. And so today I want to be talking about the spiritual discipline of evangelism. 
You know, I was in our meeting this morning and somebody said, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm, I'm going to preach on the discipline of evangelism, which should not be a discipline. It should be natural, but unfortunately, it needs to become a discipline because we do not do it naturally. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word, two words, basically, one that means a good message or gospel, which is good news, and the other word that means <coughs> to announce it or to declare something. So the evangelism is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news, and it's interwoven throughout the Bible, the idea that every believer is responsible and commanded to share the gospel with other people. In fact, when the Bible talks about the disciple's responsibility, it actually becomes the primary responsibility or function of a disciple of Jesus Christ to make more disciples and expand the kingdom of God. But here's the problem. For some reason, we don't do that. We don't proclaim or declare the good news. We just don't do it. And I think we all got to be honest about it. You know, in business, there is a concept called the knowing-doing gap. The knowing-doing gap. And you, if you're in business, you've probably heard of that, hopefully. But this is where companies study all kinds of ways to improve themselves. They hire consultants, and they hold endless seminars, and they start a big new program every year, but they don't actually change anything. I mean, they discover what they should improve, specialists, experts come in to tell them, but they don't actually do it. They have thick manuals sitting on each shelf in each office that they have developed painstakingly. They claim to have a certain culture that promotes the values to accomplish their goal, but they're soon forgotten. And unfortunately, I think Christians are a lot like that ourselves. We know that we should share the gospel. We, we read it in the Bible, we've heard it, someone shared it with us, but we just don't do it. And by the way, that's not just neglect, that actually is a sin. It's called the sin of omission. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So knowing what we ought to do and deliberately or intentionally not doing or even neglectfully not doing it, it is a sin. So why do we do that? Why do we omit the greatest function we've been called to do. Why do we not do that? Let me give you some ideas and maybe you can identify with some of these. One of them is politically incorrect. We live in a world today that is increasingly tolerant of every other religious view except that of Christians. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why we're being forced to accept everything else but people will not accept Christianity? Here's the reason why. It's because Christianity is exclusive. It really is. It makes declarations that probably no other religion ever makes. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The reason the world doesn't embrace Christianity as an accepted and tolerated is because there's no room for any other gods or any other religions or any other pathways to God. Not only do we believe that Jesus is the only way to God, we believe his word is authoritative. Our world doesn't like authoritative things. It doesn't like any one thing has to be this way. And so because of that, Christianity is pushed to the side. That's not popular today. Let me give you another reason I think we don't is postmodernism. And while we don't use that word a lot, it's basically is a philosophy that, those, that there is no absolute truth for all people. And, and we dismiss the claim of Jesus to be the only way to God. We don't want to accept that. We like the idea to say that people have to find their own pathway to God. 
And unfortunately, even we as Christians have bought into this philosophy to some extent, and we are reluctant to take a stand for Jesus because we just have the idea everybody's on their own journey. They're going to figure it out their own way. We assume that everybody knows about Jesus, that everybody's already made a decision one way or the other. They've made their mind up, and they're good. But contrary to what we say we believe, we pretend everybody's going to heaven. We don't like to think about somebody going to hell, so we just kind of push it out of our mind and say, I'm sure they're going to figure it out, or I'm sure they're good. Postmodernism. Here's another one I think the reason we don't is fear. We fear being ostracized by people, by our friends. We don't want to be seen as some sort of religious kook or zealot or whatever. It's okay to be a believer, but we don't want people to look at us weird, so we hide our faith, and we only let our faith shine when we know we're safe from ridicule. I mean, we love Jesus. We're going to stand up for Jesus, but only when it's convenient and safe for us. Or kind of like Peter, when Jesus was on trial. Remember him? He was sneaking around the edge of the fire. And when someone asked him, you know who Jesus? No, I don't know. Three times he denied Jesus. I mean, Peter had his moments right on the day of Pentecost. He proclaimed the message and, you know, proclaimed Jesus and everything. But, but there was a moment in his life when he was afraid and he denied who Jesus was. We are like that a lot. Let me give you another reason. We excuse ourselves. We excuse ourselves because somehow we convinced ourselves that it's not our responsibility. I mean, there are people we know who have spiritual gifts, after all, and they have the gift of evangelism, and that's just not mine, right? Not my gift. But nobody's released from the command. There are no exemptions from that to sharing our faith. Let me give you one more. Number five, it's kind of a dark reason, to be honest with you is we really don't care. We really don't care, you know. We got our shot of the vaccine. We're vaccinated. We're safe. We're good, right? What about everybody else? I mean, we say we care, but our actions prove that we don't. I don't know about you guys, but I identify with some of these things. I got to be honest with you. These things are real to me. Maybe you got your own reasons, but let me tell you, they're all basically excuses. All of us are. There's no reason that we shouldn't share our faith. And there's no way you can shuffle off your responsibility to somebody else for sharing Jesus. The last words of Jesus before he went to heaven was, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Someone said that Jesus' last words have now become our last concern. I think there's some significant in Jesus saying that right before he went to heaven. And I believe they understood the impact of it. That's what the church did. They went all over the world and they shared Jesus. All of them did, not just a few of them. Some were more prolific evangelists and missionaries, but everyone went, everyone went and shared their faith. And that's why you and I are Christians today, because somebody shared their faith with us. It may have been a parent. A grandparent, we're not, you know, who, who knows where, who it was for you, but somebody showed their faith, shared their faith with us. Let me ask you, who are you sharing your, your faith with? Who are you sharing Jesus with? It seems to me that evangelism is becoming more and more a lost art. And that's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. You know, the first spiritual discipline we studied two weeks ago was maintaining integrity. And we all said, well, that's, you know, that's great. That's obvious, right? But here, if we have integrity as Christians, we're going to do what we're called to do. If we have integrity as a Christian and we're honest, we're going to share our faith. 
Last week, we talked about listening to God. That was powerful to hear about listening to God. But if we're listening to God, you know what? God is telling every one of us that there's going to be somebody coming into your life that you can share Jesus with, and he will bring people in. Are you listening to God, to who God may be bringing into your life? God's recently brought a couple of people in my life that could be considered as just normal. I just met them. But I think it's more than that. And I want to pursue that. I want to see where that goes. And if we're listening to God, we're going to hear God say, that's the one. And you're the one that's to take Jesus to them. And you're going to listen when God gives you opportunities. Okay, here's the thing. Not sharing Jesus is a betrayal of all that we have been saved and called to do. Let's just be honest about it. Keeping the vaccine to ourselves and the knowledge is a betrayal of what we say we believe. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes the responsibility in his writings all throughout it because he was a great evangelist, a great missionary. And he makes it here clear that the call to follow Jesus and the privilege of being a believer also carries with it the burden of reaching people. And if you don't have that burden on your heart, then I would encourage you to start praying about that, that God would lay that burden on you that you would not be comfortable if you weren't sharing Jesus with somebody or pursuing a way to do that. I'm going to look for a little bit at, first, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you look at that in your Bible, you may have a heading there uh, called our heavenly dwelling or the resurrected body, glorious body, something like that. But he's talking about affirming that as believers, one of our longing, especially as we grow older, is to be with the Lord, to have a, um, a resurrected body. Talks about the body that will be free from all of our sin and free from pain and everything else. And the struggles of life and temptations will not be in our body. And then we'll be able to experience this incredible relationship with God. And then he talks about patiently waiting until that happens and having the Holy Spirit within us as a pledge or a guarantee or a promise assuring that we're going to be in heaven with Jesus. I mean, that's an incredible passage about hope and encouragement and about God being with us here and waiting, wanting to be with God. And then in verse six, he says, then we should be encouraged and confident as we walk by faith and not by sight, even though we want to physically be with Jesus, that our ambition, our goal in life is to live our lives pleasing to him. And then he goes in verse 10 and he says that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one of us will be rewarded or repaid according to what we did while we were on the earth, whether it was good or bad. We know that, right? We know that one day this life is going to be over. Our life is maybe over. The world may continue on. The world may end. We're all going to be before the Lord. But one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is a really important verse here, I think, because it speaks to the reality of a day of, of reckoning, a day when we're going to have to answer before God, not only when we're going to be called to account on how we spent the substance of our life and what we did with Jesus and whether we accepted him as Lord and Savior, but also we're going to be dealt with accordingly. After that day, it's not called the judgment day for nothing. Judgment's going to be passed on us. Not just a day to see Jesus, we're going to be judged. And that's pretty important there. And the rest of what he says in this chapter, I think, is going to hinge on this awareness, this conscious thought that we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account to Jesus what we did or didn't do while we're here upon the earth. So I want you to keep that in mind, that accounting day, as we read verses 11 through 21. So that's kind of set us up for these verses here. 
So let's read it together. <laughs> Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. While we are, what, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some would say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not, not do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the scripture, there are several motivating reasons that we ought to share the gospel. Paul says there's some reasons why he lived his life sharing it and traveling and suffering to share the message of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some of those reasons. First of all, Paul says we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people because we're already in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. Listen in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What is he saying? He says, we know. When we cut through all the busyness of life and all the preoccupation that we have and all the things that we do and all the minutia of our life, and it comes down to it, we know, don't we? We know. We know what it's all about. We know that one day there's going to be a day of reckoning. When everything here is gone, we're going to stand before God and we're going to be held accountable. But how would it change our lives if we consciously realize that every word we speak, every deed we do, everything we don't do that we know we should was something for which we're either going to be rewarded or reprimanded? Would it change the way we think, talk, act? To know that God's watching us right now, God's going to judge our lives as a whole, not just at the end. We all want to finish well, right? We all want to be singing amazing grace the moment we die. But what about the rest of our life? Do we acknowledge that we're going to be in the, that God knows all of that too, and he's going to judge us. He knows if we're being obedient or disobedient in every area of life, including the command to share Jesus. Are we going to stand before God and, and, and say, honestly, God, well, God, I really tried to tell people, but they just wouldn't listen. And God knows that's not true. Do you think how, how weak that's going to sound? Not sharing our faith is disobediently and in a clear, disobeying a clear and repeated command of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be held accountable for that, because, and we know it, right? Secondly, we share the good news of Jesus because we are possessed by and controlled by the love of Christ. This verse that we use a lot, uh, I know Tony used this last week. He just quoted this verse, the love of Christ compels us. It's right here in the scripture we read. 
Romans chapter five, verse eight says that God commended his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was the love of Christ demonstrated to us that took him to the cross where he died for you and I. And it's the love, the same love, or should be anyway, the same love that compels us to share that knowledge with other people. And what Paul's saying is that God's love is such a compelling force in my life, it so possesses me and drives me and directs me that I can't help but share the good news of Jesus with others. Wouldn't it be great that we, when, we, when we came in contact with another person, that we instantly began to wonder, do they know the Lord? And we began to think, how do I tactfully and lovingly and gently find out? Wouldn't it be great for us to be so aware of God's movement that we might believe, wow, maybe God brought this person into my life for this very purpose? Wouldn't it be great if we actually could think that way? We can, by the way. We should. Because the love of Christ compels us. Thirdly, we share the good news of Jesus because as his followers, we are no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him, the one who died for us and rose for, on our behalf. Look at verse 14 and 15. And he died for all those who live that those, excuse me, he died for all that those who live, no lo- who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, as Christians, we are not our own. We are bought with a price, a high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So we live for him. Maybe you didn't understand that when you gave your life to Christ, that you didn't just live, (laughs) give your life to Christ and receive blessings here and living your best life here. You're living for Jesus. You belong to him now. Paul's point is that we who have truly come to know him, we live our lives because he gave his life for us. And one of the evidences of a person who is born again in a right relationship with Jesus Christ is that they're going to share their faith with others. And maybe that's a checkpoint to say, how am I doing? Not so great if I'm not sharing my faith with other people. Because we can't help it. We've been made new and fresh and it just comes out of us. And the old way of living merely for ourselves is gone. It should be. We're made new with a true heart to see other people saved too. And one more reason. Fourthly, we share the gospel and news, the good news of Jesus with others because God has assigned us the job of helping others make peace with him. If you are a Christian, you have a job title. You are an ambassador for Christ. So I will just ordain you all today. That's their title. You, Not me, the Bible, but let me remind you of that. You are ambassador for Christ. I don't care who you are or what your job is. That's your new title. If you think of yourself in that way, it will change things. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So he says, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. I've given you the message of reconciliation. What else do you need? You have a title. You are an ambassador. What happens if an ambassador doesn't do his job? They fire him, and they put somebody else in that does, right? I don't think any of us want to be fired in our walk with the Lord. We want to be, doing, we want to be faithful. Reconciliation is making peace where there once was hostility and conflict. And so we're called to do that with other people, to bring the offer of peace with God because people are at at opposition with God. They're they're, uh, at odds with God. 
And we all need that. Why? Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you look at someone and you wonder, I wonder if they're at odds with God. Yes, they are. You don't even have to wonder. Because if they haven't made peace with God through Jesus, they definitely are. And they're probably still struggling because I got a feeling I'm looking at a lot of people who are still struggling, right? And we need Jesus to be constantly making that peace. But if we haven't done that yet, then there's a huge difference, distance between us and God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken all the punishment of sin for all people that we deserve. And because of that, now we have peace with God. You've probably seen that little diagram of God on one side, us on the other, the big uh, canyon in between, the cross Across it, it's been laid down and Jesus made peace with God. Our job is to direct people across the cross to God. That's our job as ambassadors, to share the good news with people who are not yet at peace with God. And there are many, many people who are not. They may believe in God. They may insist, oh, I believe in God. I believe in God and Jesus. But you know what? That just is not enough. Believing in the existence of God alone is not saving faith. Not saving faith. We have to recognize that. People must come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He alone can save them from their sin and give them eternal life. You got to believe in Jesus, not just that God exists, and people will never figure that out on their own. They're just not going to do it. That's our job, our responsibility. And you can do it. And you can do it. You know what? A lot of us think we can't do it. Somebody told, said the other day, I love this, there are two stories you can tell. Both of them are powerful. One of them is the story of Jesus. You can't beat that story, right? But you know what? Sometime before you tell the story of Jesus, you might just tell your story. Because your story can be as powerful as anything and lead them to the story of Jesus. Maybe you tell your story first and then you whet their appetite and then you tell them Jesus' story. But if you are a Christian, you know what it means to give your life to Christ. You are equipped. You have basic knowledge. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to know where the dinosaurs came from or went. You know, you don't have to know all that stuff, right? You just have to know Jesus. And you have to love people and be compelled by the love of Christ. Because God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. God has called us to be successful, just faithful. I used to think it was all on me. I had, to, I, had to, I had to do it. I had to nail this one. I had to win this person, and it's not how it works. Just be faithful. Just go. Let God do the heavy lifting. You just help him out. You just be his voice. Now, I was reading the other day, and I saw something that I really liked. I like slogans because I can remember short phrases and things. But, but here's one, each one reach one. What if you were to go and take that slogan and say, okay, each one, reach one. My job is to reach one person for the Lord, one person at a time. Now, when you do that, and thankfully, you're going to be challenged and excited, and you're going to reach another one. But if you just start each one, reach one, and you say, well, that's not going to amount to much. But let me tell you, one person can make an amazing difference. Let me just tell you the power of one person. If one person led one person a year to Christ, and discipled that one person to do the same thing. If that pattern continued on, the world could easily be one in our lifetime. Billions of people. How would that happen? You say, well, that could never happen. All right, wait. The first year, there's two disciples, you and the other person, right? The second year, there's four disciples. Then there's eight. Then there's 16. But do you realize that by the 33rd year, there would be 8.5 billion disciples? 
That's how it works. That's why the Bible talks about the disciples being multiplied and not just added. But it's the power of one if each one would just reach one. The world could be one to Christ. So that's my challenge to you today. That's a spiritual discipline. Is it, is it natural? No, it's not natural. Unfortunately, it's not. And I struggle with that myself. You know, did God bring this person in my life just to be a friend or just to help out a little bit? Or did there, was there a reason for that? I think there's a reason. And the people in your life are there for a reason. Let me challenge, if each one of us could just reach one, what could we do for the kingdom? And then one day when we stand before the Father, we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. That's biblical, by the way. I'm not making that up. That's what we want to hear. Let me challenge you to do that. You know, tonight, and Tony's probably going to tell you more about this, but tonight uh, we're going to be having a prayer service, and, and uh, we're going to talk about prayer, and then we're going to end it with a prayer service and tell them time and everything. But here's the point. We're going to be praying for people, individuals, by name. Not to shame anybody, not to do anything, but just to say, I got a friend that I want you to pray for. And we're going to be praying for them to come to know Jesus. And of course, you know, as we mentioned, we're, we're hoping that decisions will be made on Easter Sunday. I can't think of a better time for people to give their life to Christ than the day that Jesus came back to life on Easter Sunday. So I want to challenge you, if you've never given your life to Christ, this is a target date. We're going to have, plan to have baptisms and see lives changed and transformed. If you've not been baptized, but you made a decision for Christ, this is the day. Target that day and make that a point. Contact me. I'd love to talk to you about that. We want to move you on your journey toward Jesus. This is a huge step. This is the first step for, for many, many people. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come today, and Lord, thank you for challenging us. I, I don't know about everybody else, but this has been an uncomfortable message to preach and to hear, because we know that we don't do. So, Father, I pray that you would challenge us and you would move us, God, that we would be a church that's obedient not just in living for you and enjoying being a Christian, but in sharing it with other people as well. Father, would you make us as uncomfortable as possible? Father, would you bring as many people into our lives as we need to have to see that you're doing something in us, and would you use us in an awesome way? God, we love you. We worship you. We love Jesus. We want all to be saved. And Father, help us to commit to that mission. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.